Hi, everybody. Welcome to Never Better. No, no, no. We call this one something different. Welcome to Into the Void. With me. Uh, We, well, I say we. I find myself once again all alone without the presence of my ever chipper, ever helpful co-hosts. You know the ones uh, to help get me through this this week. So I guess I have to whip up another well, let's not say hour. Let's say 45 minutes to an hour. Let's say half an hour to an hour of premium content for you, as I so distastefully am required to call it by law. I mean, what else? this is not art. What is this but content? Anyhow, negativity aside, I do hope you've been having a wonderful week so far. I, I guess I say that I'm recording on Friday, and you're going to be listening to this at the earliest on a Monday. So... Uh, yeah, like Monday morning. So I really hope your week's been <laughs> at least neutral up to this point. If not, I am going to suggest, knowing nothing about you, uh, that you get a new job. So uh, what else we got? What's been going on in my life? <laughs> Let's take some stock here, do some accounting. Ah, here's a story of something that happened to me, or actually something that very narrowly avoided uh, happening, which is for the best, I think. Um, so I, I go for little walks, uh, some days around my neighborhood around lunch because I work from home now and I can, I can do that not to brag. Uh, it's just, it's, a, it's a recent change for me. I'm still pretty, pretty pleased about it. Relatively recent. It's like six months, maybe a little longer. Uh, regardless, um, I haven't been able to walk because it's been winter. It's been freezing out and now I can, and it's nice. Anyway, I was going, I was doing that. I was walking around my neighborhood. Actually, I was coming back home and I passed, uh, a woman in the parking lot who was trying to load an office chair into the back of her minivan. Big office chair, little minivan. It was pretty, it looked tough. She was having some trouble with it. I could hear her kind of cussing at it. And I slowed down. I didn't want to presume that she needed me to step in and, you know, be the hero or whatever, you know. But like I passed by and I, I got about 10 or so paces past her and heard her still struggling with it. And I was like, would you like me to? step in and you know help you out she's like yes please thank you oh my gosh so i did i helped and you know maneuvered it into the back of the van and we exchanged names pleasantries i went home and but what almost happened was that i almost made a joke which i didn't thank god along the lines of and to think everybody always says not to help strangers move furniture into a van because like in the Silence of the Lambs or, you know, whatever, any other serial killer fiction, that's how they get you, right? You know, they, they give you the end of the couch that's going into the van. You push the couch into the van. They just shut the doors on you to drive away. Next thing you know, you're in a an indoor well. And a, a weirdo is lowering lotion down to you in a basket. But I didn't make that joke because in the moment, and this is big for me. Normally, I don't have these thoughts until well after a social interaction is concluded. Uh, I realized... What if she doesn't get the joke and I have to explain to her why I thought it was funny? <laughs> and it, I, I don't think I would have survived that. Anyway, that's my life. On to the news. If you're online at all, I'm guessing you've already heard about this story, but I still want to talk about it because it's, well, it's local news for one, and it really sums up uh, a lot of problems that I have. <laughs> Not to turn this into the personal grievance hour, but uh, let me just read it. From the Washington Post, YouTube prank gone awry led to shooting at Virginia Mall, victim's family says. Yes, we're covering that one. 
you might as well, you know. <sighs> Tanner Cook, a YouTube jokester with more than 40,000 followers, was at the Dulles Town Center Mall filming his latest bit this weekend when the stranger he was pranking suddenly shot him in the abdomen, Cook's relatives said Wednesday. Cook, 21, is recovering in the hospital after surgeons removed his gallbladder, his family said. The Sunday shooting in the mall's food court sent shoppers running for the exits, according to video posted on social media. Now, they had to use that. They, they had to use sort of second or third hand video because they didn't have the, the first hand account as that, you know, the, the stuff that he and his dumb shit friends were taking. Uh, that was all confiscated by police as evidence in the shooting. Before we proceed too far here, I do want to make it clear. I am not in favor of randomly shooting people in a mall. A lot of people, they uh, they like to perform um, their unsympathetic worldview toward this kid, and he's a dumb piece of shit. I'm I'm not going to act like you know I'm I'm shocked and horrified. This is this is the United States of America. People get shot every fucking day over way less, but don't you? That doesn't mean that you get to do that. Like there, there are rules. If the, if this guy, uh, Alan Coley, had just turned around and punched him in the face, knocked him out, well, this this did happen in a mall, so we are probably looking at a tile floor, which is dangerous to be knocked out on, but less so than getting shot in the gut. Um, but if if that is all that had happened, if the news report had just been YouTube dipshit gets cold cocked in the face, well deservedly, I would be one hundred percent on this guy's side. But you don't get to just fucking shoot people in a mall. I mean, it, you do, apparently. Like, it did happen. No one's disputing that. But, like, for to everybody who's like, oh, yeah, that kid got what he deserved. Like, did he, though? Did he really deserve to get potentially killed? I think, maybe you know, hit in the face a few times. That's fine. Killed? Like, think about what you're saying. Come on now. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm coming down against the idea of consequences for <laughs> YouTube, TikTok, prank people. I'm not. I, I love it. I love every time it happens. But if you're the kind of dipshit, how many times have I said dipshit? Like 20 by now. If you're the kind of freak moron asshole who brings a gun to a shopping mall, then I'm basically guaranteed to not be on your side no matter what it is you do. Barring, well, I'd say extreme circumstances. Barring what in any other country would be considered extreme circumstances, like maybe you, you, there's a mass shooting at a mall and you are the proverbial good guy with a gun that happens one out of every 500 mass shootings. Anyway, <clears throat> moving on. Back to the article. Loudoun County authorities have said Alan W. Coley, 31, shot Cook after a dispute, though police have not said what prompted it. The two men did not know each other, police said. Coley was charged with aggravated malicious wounding, using a firearm while committing a felony, and discharging a firearm in a building. He remains in jail, court records show. Coley's public defender did not respond to requests for comment. Cook moved to the area from Washington State with a group of friends and fellow YouTubers, and they were all together when this happened, said his father, Jeremy Cook. That's J-E-R-A-M-Y. Jeremy. So they're not even from fucking around here. They moved here from across the country to make people miserable. Like I said, look, I, I, if it sounded at all like I was like trying to defend this guy in the beginning, I apologize. That is the exact opposite of how I really feel. If I had my way, uh, there would be either a constitutional amendment or some sort of specialized criminal classification for people like this. 
you know, so like Rico or the the Prohibition Act, where the, if they get you for it, they can bring down your whole organization. You know, I think that'd be nice. Let me start cleaning things up. On their YouTube channel, Classified Goons, Cook and his collaborators dress up as cashiers, clowns, security guards, or as themselves. They attempt to get a rise out of strangers by putting them in awkward scenarios. One of their videos is titled Barking in People's Ears Prank. And what I'd like you to do, I'd like to invite you on this little journey of imagination with me. I'd like you to think about how you would react if somebody in a public place walked up behind you, put their mouth almost directly up to your ear hole, and went, I don't know what I I think my elbow's flying, you know? I mean, I'm in the gut. Now, I'm not pulling a fucking gun because I'm not toting one because I'm not that kind of weirdo. Now, there was a little while where we didn't know, we, the public, didn't have any uh, details on what exactly it was or even imprecisely what it was that this guy was doing to the person who shot him. But now we at least have an idea. According to his family members, Cook approached Coley inside the Dulles Town Center food court on Sunday while others filmed the encounter. Cook was trying to prank Coley with Google Translate, a smartphone app, they said. <laughs> this is how you can tell that the Washington Post's, uh, their, their readership's average age is really getting up there if they have to explain what Google Translate is. Surprised they didn't have supplementary definitions for smartphone or app. Anyway. He was putting a phone in somebody's face and it was saying things in another language. I don't know what it was saying. And the gentleman slapped it away twice. And the third time he shot him, said Michael Cook, Tanner Cook's grandfather. The confrontation, now this is why we didn't have this info until this article, as far as I know. Uh, it was captured on video by Cook's collaborators, but the family has not seen it because police seized it as evidence, the Cooks said. I do want to reiterate before I continue that I'm not in favor of what this guy did. Complete overreach, in my opinion. Don't bring a gun. Don't pull a gun. Just just hit him if you're going to hit him, you know? But I will say this, considering this is already said and done, can't change it, if this teaches a lesson to the greater dumb asshole community on YouTube and TikTok and wherever else, the sorts of people who go around doing uh, what they very generously call social experiments, if if this prompts them to reflect a little bit on what they're doing and say, hey, maybe my entire life has been a waste up to this point. Maybe nothing I've ever done has been of any use to anybody, including myself, and maybe I'm just going to get killed for doing it one day. Like, if this is what it takes for this bullshit to stop, then maybe the situation is a little more complex and nuanced than I was given it credit for. Like, I grew up in the age of jackass, right? I So I... To a limited extent, I get it. You know, wanting to be part of a crew that rolls around and just does goofball shit. Yeah, it, it's it's a big dream for a lot of people. Um, but the difference is, for the most part, the jackass boys, they were doing that shit to themselves and each other, right? They're not tasting anybody else's testicles. Just that, that's for them. Or if they were pranking somebody outside the group, it was usually a group of people that everybody agrees you know, they, they, can, they can take it. They can stand to be brought down a peg, like golfers. If you've never seen the video of them on the golf course blowing air horns as people are about to hit the ball, that shit is perfect comedy. It's so good. I do want to move on, but I, I also want to hit my favorite piece of this article. Jeremy Cook said the incident showed, and I promise you, it's J-E-R-A-M-Y. I don't know how else to say it, but Jeremy. Jeremy Cook said the incident showed the need for Americans to exercise their constitutional rights responsibly. 
Comedians thrive on free speech, he said, because, quote, if you can't offend somebody in a comedic way, it's hard to be funny. At the same time, Americans have a right to bear arms, he said. <laughs> so, it's like, you can see the gears grinding against each other, the, the teeth shearing off in this guy's head. Like, <laughs> there's Amendment 1 on one side, Amendment 2 on the other. It's like, well, you got to be able to offend people. And you got to be able to shoot people, but not if they af- offend you. But, 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 you, but you should be able to like shoot to kill, but not like not not if it affects me. I love it. I I love this. I love the cognitive dissonance. It, we've really moved away from cognitive dissonance in America. Um, it's it it used to be uh, something people struggled with more. I believe you know when the, they they'd run into a, a thought that they had unknowingly incorporated into their worldview that contradicts with everything else and like well shit how do i make this make sense well the solution to that in uh, the 2020s is just to only have room in your head for one thought at a time and so you can just switch back and forth between them and never have to think about how they all (laughs) interact with each other um they're calling it single think and it's beautiful i also really enjoy the idea that well if you can't offend people then it's hard to be funny like that just means you're not funny (laughs) that's all that means like being funny is hard if i can't just call someone like a a fat fuck like if i can't use the n-word then how am i supposed to do my stand-up set well i guess you're not supposed to do your stand-up set like this this is the first line of defense for every hack wannabe comedian it's like well if i can't say everything i want then uh, how am i supposed to earn my keep as a comic like i I guess you got to go find a different job then you're right I guess you fucked up in pursuing this as a hobby. Go do something else. I don't care. Let's move on to my favorite segment. Nobody had to know. A one, two, three, four. Line up just keeping your little secret. Nobody had to know. Fair warning, this one is more than a little dark. Uh, so if, if you don't feel up to that this morning or whenever you're listening to this, then that's, I, I totally respect it. It is, however, maybe the most singularly distilled version of the whole ethos of this segment that I have come across in the entire time we've been doing this show. So, uh, I, I won't dwell on it because really all you need is the headline, but, uh, reading from the Fort Worth star telegram, Texas man. Every, every word of this headline gets worse as it goes on. Texas man bragged about stealing money from cartel. Now he's missing, officials say. I know you're shocked. I was too. But let's try to process this together. Uh, this article is written by Mitchell Willits, which is just a name I enjoy. I don't know. I don't know anything about the guy. A Texas man bragged about stealing money from a Mexican cartel and believed he was safe from retribution in the United States, but now he's missing, according to the FBI. And I want to say I understand that not everybody has seen No Country for Old Men, but it was a pretty big deal when it came out. You know, it, it was, I think it, did it win Best Picture? It was up for Best Picture. Like, it's definitely enough of a cultural touchstone, like Javier Bardem. Everybody knows about how fucking weird Javier Bardem looked in that movie. Like, and it's it had enough cultural saturation, I think, to serve as a reference point against doing something like this, anything remotely like this. Don't do this. If you find a bunch of unattended money in the midst of the aftermath of a 
cartel-looking shootout in the desert, you leave that money right where the fuck it is. Somebody wants to know where it is, and they probably have ways of figuring it out. And unfortunately, I have to tell you, in case you had the impression that he was just on the run, and that was why nobody heard from him, uh, they, they, they caught him on video trying to escape from a moving pickup truck as it crossed the Juarez-Lincoln International Bridge in Laredo, Texas. Um, not looking good. Not looking good. Oh, boy. Let's, uh, let's, let's put a pin in this one and move on. Oh, God. By the way, I don't want anybody to think that I'm like, this is a comedy podcast, at least in name, maybe not in practice, but this, I'm not going over this one for comedic purposes. I'm going over this because if, if this is not some shit that nobody had to know about, I don't know what is. Because this is an educational segment, really, more than anything. Because I, I want you all to have the tools necessary, you know, the, the, the mental capabilities to know not to steal from a fucking drug cartel. Most people, I think, have that. You know, they're, they're equipped. But I, I just want to make double sure because apparently some people think it's a cool idea. By the way, you want to know how much money this was all over? $50,000. 50K. They're like, that's not nothing. But if I'm risking winding up skinless in an unmarked grave, it's going to have to be a little higher than that for me, personally. I get everybody's different. Also, this guy was bragging on the phone at a party to the like to someone from the cartel that said he told the woman on the phone he wasn't scared of her that he didn't fear retribution because he was in the united states witnesses said so not only did he tell them he did it he told them i don't care what you do because here's where i am and like sure the united states is a big place but if they already have his phone number they can probably be reasonably sure as to where he is if they know him that well like, okay, well, let's just go check his family's house. Fucking shit. Oh, my God. Ugh. Every time I do this, one of these solo episodes, I end up depressing myself about eight or nine times. And every time I do, that's when I determine that it's time to move on to the next segment. So let's do that with Duty Rabbit. We don't want to start a fight. We're just trying to figure out what you mean. It's time to get the record right. Even though you died in 2013, this is Dear Dear This is Dear Dear This is Dear Dear Abbey. All right, so I was going to read one, and uh, I got two thirds of the way through and realized it was uh, completely unpublishable. Uh, <laughs> so we're trying again. I have to find a new one now. This is what happens when you don't read through the stuff you're going to say on the show all the way through before you um, start recording. <sighs> all right. Give me one moment. Well, I was going to do a Dear Abby column, but uh, I was looking through some... I'm in the... Uh, where is this? The Wisconsin Rapids Daily Tribune for the 11th of April, 1972. And the Dear Abbeys for that day... I just picked a date in a paper at random, more or less... And the, the letters that day aren't that great, but there's a little article right off to the side directly adjacent uh, to Madam Abby, which uh, has, it sports the headline, Claims Contact with Monster Through ESP. Now, this is in a regular paper, not like the Weekly World News or anything that would chronicle the continuing adventures of Bat Boy. Just the paper like you'd find at the end of your driveway in the morning, you know, if you lived in 1970. 
Kenosha, Wisconsin. This is courtesy of the Associated Press, too. This was an international story. A Kenosha man who went to Scotland in an effort to investigate the fabled Loch Ness Monster claims to have gathered information about the beast through extrasensory perception. I thought it was perception, but uh, I'll take it, whatever. According to a report received by friends here, Norman Slater, who teaches a course in ESP at Kenosha Technical Institute. I didn't even read that part. What the fuck is that? Do they still offer this? Hold on one second. I have some research to do. All right, so there have been a few updates since 1972. It's now called the Gateway Technical College, and looking through their programs, there does not appear to be anything in the way of extrasensory <laughs> perception. I'm very sorry to be the one to tell you. I know a lot of you were looking forward to it. Um, let's, let's keep reading. Where were we? Norman Slater, who teaches a course in ESP at Kenosha Technical Institute, said he received psychic signals after he put his hand in the body of water where the monster is said to have been seen. I believe, I'm just an intrepid amateur journalist here, but I think that body of water is known by some populations as Loch Ness. Uh, according to a letter which he sent back to Kenosha, reports of a sea monster being sighted in the Loch Ness date back to the 1200s. For all I know, that's true. I got nothing. I'm not a scholar on this topic. I just thought this was funny. I thought it was a funny headline, and I think I'm right about that. Slater's letter said he then started getting mental images indicating that some type of monster or large creature was in the water and also had indications of some type of underwater passageway. The report said Slater would not give specific details until he returns to the United States either April 20th or 27th, so you know, keep your eyes open for that. Slater, whose work is sponsored by the Psychic Foundation of Wisconsin, now that's got to still be around, uh, was invited to Scotland by a group of divers. I would have thought it'd be a group of psychics. I thought divers could do their own diving and see if there's a Dagon Loch Ness Monster in there or not. Psychic Foundation of Wisconsin? Psychic Foundation? Give me, give me one more second. I do recognize, by the way, I want to make it perfectly clear. I don't have to keep pausing. I can just edit this. I'm already editing it. As much as a depiction of one man's descent into madness as this show is, I do realize this. I'm doing it because, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to keep the, the laissez-faire, easy, breezy, beautiful, off-the-cuff nature of this whole program intact. And it's difficult to do when you're all by yourself in front of a computer and a microphone. So, um, what was I talking about? The Wisconsin Psychic, whatever, technical... Institute Foundation uh, doesn't exist anymore. I looked it up. I'm very sorry to tell you. There are no results for that at all. It, I don't know why I was so certain it would still be around, uh, but it is not. 51 years later, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, it has gone the way of the dodo, the telegram, and uh, well, I was going to say polio, but polio is on its way back now, isn't it? That's fun. That's what? How many times have I bummed myself out this time? Is that number five? I keep a running tally. This is what I need co-hosts for. If you're wondering what happened to that first Dear Abby column that I had to suddenly shelve, uh, you know, I'll I'll put I'll put my live reaction, which I <laughs> removed from uh, this earlier section just now. I'll put it at the end after the the credits. The, <laughs> the cre we don't have credits after the end theme. Well, no, we do credits. We do at the end of every episode. I say that we were produced by me, distributed by nobody, and then our theme song was uh, I just I just pull a title from my vast musical library. Or I have Michael make up one. Not to 
put too fine a point on it, but a little little peek behind the scenes here and maybe over explaining the joke. The theme music is original to the show. I whipped it up like a year and a half ago and never gave it a name because it didn't really seem necessary to do that. Um, so if you want to call it you know, whatever, you want to call it the love ballad from Never Better, that's on you, I guess. You go ahead. Um, but that's why I always give it a random one because it's obviously not like Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes, but it's it's it delights me to insinuate that it is. Anyway, I jumped the gun a little bit by reading a news article from a random newspaper from X number of decades in the past, because that's what this whole next segment is going to be about. That's right. Time to dive back into Municellaneous right now. You know, we already started with this newspaper. We might as well keep going, right? I mean, why not? Well, I say this. I did promise that I was going to start reading things before I started putting them up on the show, but uh, we'll say that takes that, that, that promise kicks in tomorrow. Reading from the Wisconsin Rapids Daily Tribune, April 11th, 1972, informing the Southwood County area of Wisconsin. So if you're listening from the Southwood County area, you're welcome. Oh, this is already terrific. All right. Washington, that's D.C., courtesy of the AP. Senator William Proxmire, a Democrat from Wisconsin, D. Wiz, they say, says his much-discussed hair transplant has cost him $1,500 and that so far, quote, if you rub your hand over it, it feels like a two-day growth of beard. Now, $1,500, I just looked it up, is a little shy of $11,000 today. (laughs) (laughs) paragraph two i'm unveiled proxmire exclaimed as he arrived at a news conference without the white turban of bandages which have marked his appearance for the last several weeks he said he had one more treatment to undergo and that when that was finished 200 plugs of hair plucked painfully from the back of his neck and head will have been moved to a semicircle on his forehead this is on the front page of this paper i've had four treatments so far proxmire said and they put in 164 plugs at $7.50 a plug. There's 36 more to go. He said it will take three months for the transplanted hair to start to grow, and that at best, it will be thin with a bald spot in the middle. How is this better than what you had? Just shave your head. Like, how? It gets worse. At the moment, Proxmire's scap, scap, Proxmire's scalp is covered by a semicircle of stitches and scabs. And the hair he had before has grown far longer than its normal length. So he looks like Frankenstein's monster. And he's paid almost 11000 to do so, just for that privilege. <laughs> but it's okay, because at the end of the day, he'll look like George Costanza from Seinfeld. I just looked this guy up. This is the guy who replaced Joseph McCarthy in the Senate. Staunch opponent of wasteful spending, this guy, uh, to the point that he gave out little awards, you know, little sarcastic awards to organizations that he felt were throwing away money on research and stuff. But uh, at the same time, he claimed his much publicized hair transplant on his taxes as a medical expense. He paid $2,758, or the equivalent today of uh, $19,849.68 all for the privilege of looking like someone else's hair transplant before photo. Fascinating. A real window into the psyche. 
misplaced his wife. Sorry, that's the next headline on the page. That's directly underneath the hair transplant article. I didn't mean to startle you into thinking that Senator William Proxmire had at any point misplaced his wife, which, to the extent of my knowledge, and it is extensive from all that research I just did, uh, simply did not occur. That being said, if you have any tips to that effect, if you have some knowledge that you've been sitting on for 51 years and you know for a fact that William Proxmire did misplace his wife, right into the show. Mailbox at neverbetter.show or send us a Twitter DM at neverbettercast, all one word, no punctuation, and we will bust the story wide the fuck open. Now, we cannot protect you if you are found defaming the Proxmire name. If the estate comes after you for what you tell us and we publish it, we are giving you up right away. We don't even have to be threatened or offered money. We'll just do it if they ask. But, you know, other than that, we have your back. Janesville, Wisconsin, Associated Press, again. How are they getting all this stuff from the AP? I don't know. An Illinois man almost misplaced his wife temporarily, but the Wisconsin State Patrol straightened things out. Now, you have to understand, this was it was a different era. Uh, this was a time when wives were frequently misplaced. You'd head to the lost and found, and it would just be a box of wives, little tiny wives in there, milling around, getting to know each other, waiting for their errant husbands to come by and pick them back up. What am I fucking talking about? What, is, what are they talking about? What happened here? The Rock County Sheriff's Department was notified to be on the lookout for Louis Zephrin. Authorities said he had driven away from a south-central Wisconsin rest stop thinking his wife was asleep in the backseat of the car. Instead, she had gotten out and was left behind. Uh-huh. The state patrol said Zephyrin was stopped about a half hour later at the, on the interstate near Janesville. He headed back to Portage, Portage to pick up his wife. Authorities never got his exact address. This, I don't think this was any accident whatsoever. I think Mr. Zephyrin got caught and tried to play it off. And it worked because the cops didn't even ask for his info. I think he tried to do the thing with his wife because he forgot she was a human being that some people do with like a dog they don't want, say in an old like Tom and Jerry cartoon or something. They just like, like, oh, we're going for a picnic, Charlie, you know, and they, uh, they just let the dog out on the side of the highway and off they drive. I think that's what happened here. Thought she was asleep in the back seat. You never look, you don't use your mirror. That's a moving violation. Congratulations, motherfucker. You just admitted to a misdemeanor. I don't even think it's a misdemeanor. You just admitted to... A ticketable offense. Book them. All right, what else happened in this goober-ass newspaper? Oh, here we go. Gets five-year term on two pot-selling counts. Howard T. Young Jr., 24, of 26th Street. I can't believe they were still doing that in the in the 70s. I know that you see it in like older papers from like the, the 30s and stuff, but I thought it was a bygone thing. But they still say what street people lived on. Uh, he was sentenced Monday to five years in the state reformatory at Green Bay on two counts of selling marijuana. Young had pleaded guilty earlier in Wood County Court, and a pre-sentence investigation was held. Young was charged with selling seven lids of marijuana to an undercover agent from the Wisconsin DOJ last July, and was selling three lids of marijuana to the same agent July 29th, both times at Young's home in the town of Grand Rapids, according to the complaint. What is a lid? Common, okay, common terminology used in the United States during the 60s and 70s to describe approximately an ounce of cannabis. While the origin of the term varies, many agree that it comes from the specific style of coffee cans used during the 1960s, the lids of which peeled off like sardine tins. This is from, <laughs> this is from ganjapreneur.com, so you know it's for real. 
This guy sold 10 ounces to an undercover cop? Oh, brother. Oh, no. Judge Fred A. Fink said a stiff sentence was in order because Young dealt in large quantities of marijuana. Billions of lids. Uh, Young testified that he'd purchased as much as six pounds at one time. That amount would be worth 1500 to 2000 retail, which we now know is somewhere between ten dollars $15,000 today, depending on the going rate. Good Lord. Another person arrested during the raid, Daniel Cornwell, 21, who lives on Route 1 in case you were looking to steal his unattended stash, was placed on probation for three years after pleading guilty to possessing and selling a lid. Lid is always in quotes, which is adorable, almost. uh, To the same undercover agent, January 28th, 1972, in the town of Grand Rapids. If, like the characters in that 70s show, you were alive in 1970s Wisconsin, and you were curious as to why so few teenagers seem to be able to just relax, you know, just, just sort of have a chill time. You can blame this one undercover agent, I guess. This one cop. Smoke the whole county dry, the whole tri-state area. Oh, here's a little fun one for those of us living in the future. On page two now. U.S. buildup seen as warning to Hanoi that victory isn't likely. News from Saigon, AP, again. Official U.S. circles view the massive buildup of American air and naval power in Indochina as a message from President Nixon to Hanoi that North Vietnam is not going to win a military victory in its biggest offensive since Tet 1968. But, quote, we're not going to use ground forces, only air and naval gunfire, says one source. It is very clear Nixon cannot afford to use ground troops. Nixon himself once said he did not want to be the first American president to lose a war. (laughs) Too bad jolly old freak. Uh, And some observers see the sudden return of Air Force, Marine, and Navy units as a turning back of the clock. The last elements of the Marine Air Wing left nearly a year ago. Now they're back at Da Nang. U.S. B-52 bombers hadn't struck inside North Vietnam in more than four years. They returned to the North Monday and went deeper than they ever had. There is some skepticism about administration statements that U.S. ground troops will not be used to counter the North Vietnamese offensive. It has been learned that contingency plans exist for the use of such combat forces, and a marine landing team is poised off the coast. Many times in the past in Vietnam, the thing that couldn't happen did happen. Administration officials insist the U.S. troop strength in Vietnam will be cut to 69,000 men by the end of this month despite the offensive. Yet American strength deployed outside of the country but committed to the war is growing. I... All right, so this is, again, not really comedy anymore, but it's interesting uh, because I was, um, to date myself a bit, as I frequently do, I was alive and conscious during the uh, invasion of Iraq in 2003. Uh, I read the papers because I was like 11 years old and determined to be more adult about things. I'm like, well, I've got to be informed. <laughs> so I would, I would start with the comics still, obviously. Um, but then I would like try to read the front page and, and my eyes just mostly glaze over. But I will say at no point do I ever remember any journalism at all being, or at least in, in no meaningful quantity, uh, being like, maybe this is a really dumb, fucking terrible idea. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Everybody was so gung ho about like, you know, this, this post nine 11 world, like, well, we've got to do something. We've got to, we've got to blow someone up. And that's really what it boiled down to, at least in the public view. You know, obviously, the government had, uh, we'll say, more lucrative reasons for doing it. Anyway, oh boy. Uh, how do we get on this? Is this the sixth time I've depressed myself in this, in this show? 
Let's see what else we can track down in this paper here. Uh, this one's a little light, not going to lie to you. I did pick it at random, and uh, this was not what I had planned to go over with you or my, with my co-hosts today, but here's something. To demolish birthplace of architect, Richland Center, Wisconsin, AP. A ramshackle bungalow said to have been the birthplace of famed architect Frank Lloyd Wright appears destined for demolition next month. That's a shame, kind of. Oh, is it? Uh, the one-story frame building, which was added to twice and covered with dingy brown shingle siding, has been vacant for more than a year. It's a safety hazard. No doors, creaky floors, said David Nelson, attorney for a firm which wants to clear the land for future development. No vested interest there. It's also an eyesore, and a lot of people want to get rid of it. For example, uh, the firm that wants to clear the land for future development. The Chamber of Commerce has discussed moving the dilapidated structure. Dilapidated is a fun word. I gotta admit, I'm a fan. Uh, but determined such a move would cost more than members could raise. The only evidence that the home was the birthplace 102 years ago of Wright, who died in 1959, is the word of longtime residents of the neighborhood who say the house was moved from an earlier location. Okay, so <laughs> may or may not, in fact, be the birthplace of Frank Lloyd Wright. And while I came down kind of hard on the developers, which, you know, why not? They can take it. Uh, it's not like... You know, he, he was born there. He didn't design the building he was born in. You know, a little late at that point. Um, anyway, the name Frank Lloyd Wright just doesn't mean much to most people, a local businessman said. Well, that's also not true. Why is everybody involved in this story is so full of shit? Uh, he's just another guy who grew up here. Well, no, like, I'm not an architect, and I know who Frank Lloyd Wright was. Don't, like, don't, don't feed me bullshit. Come on. Oh, Monticello? Uh, no, I'm, I mean, sure, maybe people around here know who Thomas Jefferson is, but once you get out of the zip code, I mean, he's, he's practically nobody. I figure we could just tear down the whole shebang, maybe put up an axe-throwing bar. I don't even want to get on the topic of axe-throwing bars. What a dumb fucking idea. I don't, I don't know. It just does not appeal to me at all. I'm not, I'm, I like where my limbs are in relation to my torso, and I'd like them to stay there. And I used some harsh language just now, about five seconds ago. And if it's your thing, it's your thing. I don't, please, I mean, no offense. But I don't believe that confining myself in a building with a bunch of dudes named Todd who are all eight IPAs in and armed with bladed weapons is a good way to keep my limbs where they are, vis-a-vis -vis torso. Uh, that was like page 12. I had to dive in that far just to find the next usable thing. There's not much to go on. Um... At page 15, we've got the comics. I don't really want to read those to you one by one. There's one called Lancelot by Coker and Penn. There's two people in a grocery store. Lady asks the guy, what, what's that tune they're playing, Lance? He says, it's from an album made especially for supermarkets. It's called Music to Spend Your Hard-Earned Money By. It took two people to create this comic strip. Two. I would have expected half of one with that level of effort and commitment. Well, that's the only one I'm doing of those. Jesus Christ. This is abysmal. In fact, I think maybe it's about time to wrap things up. It's been nice, for me at least, anyway. You know, I've had the window open in here. It's like 60 degrees outside. Birds are singing. Sunny. Not a cloud in the sky. Fantastic. I can only hope that you've had as pleasant a time as I have. Actually, I, I, we'll say more pleasant because I definitely got uh, severely psychically wounded several times in the last 40 odd minutes. But apart from that, uh, it wasn't too bad. Never Better, believe it or not, is produced by me.
We are distributed by nobody. And just like every week, our theme music is Diamond's Shining Face by the band Godcaster. That's a really good song. That's a wild as shit. I feel like being dragged on horseback across the desert after accidentally swallowing uh, you know, a fistful of mushrooms. Something else. It's great. Almost saw them this past weekend. Godcaster. Didn't have the time to get away, though. Would have loved to. Maybe next time. I'll probably still do it. I just put that up the album out like, what, a month ago? Not even. Anyway, until next time, everybody. <laughs>
that's just like some fucking Rudyard Kipling racism, like some 19th century shit. I, who have, they should have named this person. They should have fucking put it up. They should have put their picture in the column. Address, place of employment, everything. I'm talking, I want the works. Air it all out. A little caption underneath just says, fire this person. Ugh.